Um, this morning, here, here's the message. It, it certainly fits within our series on the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's kind of a little bit of a piggyback on already but not yet, but I want to kind of state it differently. And I'm really preaching this message to equip you all because how many know we live in a real world uh, and there's real situations that we face. And so I'm preaching it in context of this month uh, and all this going on. Um, but I want to read a letter kind of here to start off to, to, to let you feel kind of the, uh, the tensions that we live in. And let, let me ask the question maybe this way. How do we as Christians navigate this ever-changing world in which we live in a way that's honoring to Christ and loving to our neighbors, many of whom do not share our Christian values? Another way to say it is like this. We, we're already citizens of heaven and sons and daughters of, of the kingdom of God, and yet, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, we're still living in this present evil age. We're living in the middle of two kingdoms, in case you haven't figured them out, that are on a collision course. And some issues that we're dealing with today that are collision course issues, I just want to encourage you that there's no common ground for compromise because we start from different places. How many of you know if you start from different places... Uh, and, and they're opposite places, then there's no reconcilable areas in between. And it's a tension that we live in. And I'm just going to read uh, an email that I got. And let me just say to you all, um, I love every one of you, and I love connecting with you. And many of you send me things uh, either by email or text or, or uh, on Facebook or whatever. And uh, sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a note, sometimes it's a question. Let me just say, if... I don't respond to you, it's not because I don't like you, all right? I like you. It's just there's more of you than there are me, and uh, I can't watch every video, unfortunately, and I can't respond to every question, and then sometimes I get, this is just part of a, of a message I got. Um, it would have gone to multiple pages, but I'm, I'm sharing it because I want to set the, the emotional tone for what I'm getting ready to talk about, all right? Uh, and I want you to hear, and I want you to ask yourself the question, have you been put in a situation like this yourself, all right? So here's, here's what a dear sister from our church uh, wrote me on Facebook. She said, I recently shared a Facebook post with a message that stated that the rainbow means promise, not pride. Now, how many know if, if the biblical fact checkers are here, is that a true statement? Yes. Absolutely. The promise goes all the way back to Genesis. The rainbow was a picture of God's mercy that his judgment, at least the judgment in that way of flooding the earth would never happen again. It is a promise. In fact, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that was a true statement. And then she said, there's another that she posted of Jesus grabbing a rainbow saying, this belongs to me. Now, I like that too, personally. I like that too. Uh, Jesus claiming back his promise uh, that has been kind of co-opted by a different message. So she said, I, I later learned that a few of my coworkers were hurt by my post. I felt convicted immediately. I realized that although I was sharing truth, the way in which I chose to share it was not rooted in love, but in anger for having misused my Lord's symbol of promise. I, I became very sad. I, I hated that I caused someone pain, even if it was the truth. I don't like feeling man's disappointment in me, but I also felt like it was my duty to defend God's word and its meaning. And I feel like the rainbow is being used, uh, as it's currently being used, is a smack in God's face. Now, can we just pause right there? Does anybody relate to those feelings? You're, 
you're like you're trying to be true to the scriptures. How many of you know? Let me just say this: if you go to a church that doesn't believe the Bible, it's not a church. I I wanted to bring a garbage can out here and just take the the Bible and just whip it in the garbage can because that's what a lot of churches are doing. That's how they treat God's word. They twist the word. And so here's this dear woman. She's trying to simply make a statement, but I want to show you something. I just want to help everybody. Truth by nature is offensive. You don't have to be mean, and you don't have to be mean-spirited. She's just dealing with the fact that she wants to stand for truth. And, and can I just share something else with you? Righteous anger, when God and his word and his truth is trampled in the ground, righteous anger is not evil or sinful. It's actually a sign of health. It doesn't mean we, we're angry at people or we hate people. I mean, we're called to love people. In fact, that's why she feels badly is because people that she knows were offended. But can I just tell you something? Every time you stand for truth, someone is going to be offended. Get over it. Get over it. She said, she changed some things, and she said, I mentioned that my intention is not to offend, but to hold fast to the convictions of my faith and the promises of God. She said, I've also sent a personal apology note to two of my coworkers, letting them know that I'm still learning how to love others while honoring God and respecting my own beliefs. And I expressed to them, expressed to them that this is a struggle for me, and I'm a flawed human being, doing my best to love people unconditionally, just like Jesus does. And I went on to say, at the end of the day, if someone does not feel loved by me, then ultimately I have failed them. Now, can you understand how nuanced all these feelings are? Because all of these things are partially true. But when you put them together and you stir them all up, it's a mess. And that's why she's so confused. She's like, oh my gosh, I just posted something on Facebook and then people were offended. And, and then if I offend anybody, I must not be moving in the unconditional love of God. Can I just pause? Jesus was the perfect unconditional love of God. Did he offend anybody? So here, here's, here's why I want to challenge the church. Just because someone gets offended by a simple true statement does not mean you're a failure as a believer or you hate that person. doesn't mean that. In fact, I would argue, you know, sometimes it's crazy in the world in which we live that certain things that are so out there and so perverted and that only a decade ago, we're not even talking about centuries, a decade ago people would have said, What? And now, when you stand for these things, you got this swirl going on inside of you. You're like, oh my gosh, did I, you're second guessing. Am I a bad person? I never realized until I started standing for truth how many phobias I have, supposedly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I am a mentally ill person, according to Simon. I got so many phobias, I'm going to be in therapy the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? I don't have phobias. I, I have a love for Jesus Christ and a love for the Word of God. But here's what happens. You get, you get blasted. You get blasted by all of these things that make you feel like you're like the spawn of the devil or something like that. And then I'm just watching this turmoil going on inside of this dear woman as she's second-guessing this and feeling bad and bending over backwards for posting a meme on Facebook. So, so can I just... Let me, let me just tell you this. I have been 
down at the state house many, many times, articulating the truth from the scriptures. How many of you know, if I'm not up here preaching the scriptures, I, I got nothing to say. My opinion is no more valuable than anybody's opinion. We're not here preaching opinions. The church declares, thus saith the Lord, and God is clear on these things. And I'm just telling you, as I have simply tried in love, with a smile on my face, to stand for the truth of God's word as it relates to sexuality, I walk out of the hearing, and I got people saying, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? And I say, I don't hate you. That's why I'm here, because I love you, and I love the truth, and the truth has the power to set you free, and because I want you free, free. That's why I'm here. Oh, no, no, no. You hate us. You hate us. Listen, that is manipulation. It's a form of witchcraft. Stop falling for witchcraft. Stop allowing yourself to be manipulated when you're simply declaring, thus saith the Lord. That's what, by the way, this is what Christians do. If we're not saying, thus saith the Lord, we have nothing to say. We have nothing to say. And so I'm just trying to help us navigate this, and I'm trying to think, how do I respond to this dear woman? Because let me tell you the, the shoe on the other foot. She's bending over backwards, feeling so terrible, uh, writing apology notes, and here's the truth of the situation. She said, I may lose my job over this. Can I just encourage you? This is what I'm preaching on next week. That's called tyranny. It's called tyranny. It's called people punishing other people for simply having a difference of opinion. That's not how America was founded, all right? That's not how America was founded. And I just want to encourage you, if we don't get an appetite for liberty back, we're going to lose everything that we have. And here this dear woman now is worried about whether she's going to have her job. Uh, and I'm saying, you let me know if that becomes an issue, because now your issue is my issue. Because how many of you know what we learned during the Nazi Holocaust was if you shut up during somebody else's tyrannical act against them just because you're not part of that group, eventually they're coming after you. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not foolish enough to think that just because I'm standing here behind a pulpit and we have separation of church and state and we have a constitutional provisions, are you kidding me to think that somehow if what I'm preaching on this morning gets out to the wrong ears, that all of a sudden I become an object of attack and the federal government is put upon us to shut us up for simply preaching the Bible and preaching the gospel? How I many know you got to choose who you're going to follow? Are you going to live in the kingdom of God or are you going to try to be best buddies with everybody that in the world. You got to figure out who you're going to follow. So take a look, and I just want you to see, I'm a happy pastor this morning. I'm not mad at anybody. If anybody walks away here thinking pastor's mad at people, I'm not mad at anybody. I love people, and I love you, and I want to help you navigate how to figure it, finish this thing successfully. So let's look at seven principles from, from Ephesians chapter 1 that are, 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 sorry, Ephesians chapter 5 that are going to guide us this morning. Let's look at, so we're going to start right at verse 1. Imitate God in everything that you do because you're his dear children. That, that word for imitate is, is the Greek word. It's where we get our English word mimic. It means we are to, if you're a Christian, you're to be a God mimicker. In other words, who sets the standard for our behavior? God does. Whose opinion matters? 
Whose glory matters? In other words, you, you live for him. Now, the world will tell you, well, God is love, and God is love. But God's a lot of other things, too. And let me just tell you, how do you know what God is? How do you know what God you're worshiping? It's a good question, isn't it? How does any human being know what God's like if God has not chosen, first of all, to reveal himself to us? Where does he reveal himself to us? In the Bible. So can I encourage us as Christians, if we want to be mimickers of God, we better know God. And if we want to know God, we've got to read the Bible. Now, people ask me sometimes, Pastor, what would be a good place? I'm a new believer. What would be a good place to start learning more about my faith? Here's a foundational Bible study for everybody. Nature and attributes of God. Work your way through the whole Bible. What is God like? Because how many of you know the most important question you'll ever answer in life is who is God and what is he like? Let me deal with another cultural misinformation. So the world, if I said, hey, let's be like God, they would say, oh, beautiful, yes, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We're all creations of God. But we must be born again. There has to be a supernatural regeneration that happens in the human heart that's wrought by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that produces a new creature in Christ, and now we are born into the family of God, and we become his children. But everybody is not a child of God. And so you hear this kind of talk today, especially during this month. God is love, and God loves everybody, and we're all God's children, and all this. That is not the truth. And if you're here today and you've never bowed your knee, we talked about this. How do you enter the kingdom of God? You bow your heart and you bow your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Will you be my king? Meaning you have sovereign authority over me. Y'all with me? And what happens? You get born again and you become a child of God. So the first thing I want us to focus on is let's be God mimickers. Let, let's, let's go after God. Let's act like the Father. All right? Let's take a look at the second one here. Be filled with love. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled with love. Now we, we get a second portion here, following the example of Jesus. So now we're supposed to mimic God, and we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is the clearest revelation of what God's like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now we read through our New Testament, and we look at how Jesus navigated through his, his fallen world, his evil world. And we mimic him, and part of what we do is we live a life filled with love. Now, I just want to encourage you, love and truth are never separated. Love is truth, and truth is love. You cannot take the heart out of truth and expect to still have truth, or you cannot take the heart out of love and still expect to have love. They go together. They have to always be kept together. And so I want to encourage us as we're, as we're mimicking God and as we're following the example of Christ, we do it with a spirit of love for people and a love for the Lord. But even those are not separated. You can ask, say, well, I love God, but I really don't love these people. No, we love people. We, how many of you know we're all broken people? Every, that's why we're all here. This is not a, 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 a place where we cheer how great we are. This is a hospital for sick people. If you're here today, welcome. You've admitted the fact that you, uh, you need the Lord. Amen? It's a hospital for sick people. How does Jesus demonstrate love? What is his love known by? It's known by sacrifice. It's known because his love demonstrates what sacrificial love is. And I've got a great definition here of love. 
Love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one loved. In other words, love is not selfish. Love is not sensual. So we hear people or see people waving signs today, love is love. I don't know, that's not even a, I don't even know what that statement says. But how many of you know we better define our terms, first of all? What, what, well, what love are you talking about? Are you talking about the sacrificial love of Christ, or are you talking about sensuality and lust? Are you talking about love that seeks the betterment of the other person, or are you talking about having sex with people? How many of you know there's a difference between love and sex? I'm going to say that one again, because that we need clarification. There's a massive difference between loving a person and having sex with them. Sex is not equal sex. In other words, there's good sex and there's forbidden sex. And loving a person means you don't exploit them for your own sensual, selfish pleasure. Loving a person means you're willing to lay your life down for that person for their betterment. And Jesus demonstrates, Jesus defines what love is. So if you're running around with your love is love sign, you better figure out what is your definition of love, and it better get back to Christ or it's not going to be true. And you'll be building your life on a lie. Now, so far, so good, because people say, well, mimic God, and God is love, and let's just love everybody. And what they mean by that is let's just embrace every kind of perversion that's out there. But I want you to look at what happens in the very next verse. This is crazy. Look at what the very next verse after be filled with love says. Look at verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. So now we got sexual immorality and impurity combined with greediness. That's interesting. We'll flesh that out in a little bit. Such sins have no place among God's people. So if you're living in the kingdom of God, the Bible says this type of behavior has no place among God's people. Is that what, did you guys read that with me? I'm just so I'm highlighting this. This is not my opinion. This is thus saith the Lord. And it's not complicated. It's really very clear. Look at what it says. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, what should be coming out of our mouths? This is crazy. Thankfulness to the Lord. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Now, this is crazy to me because we just got commanded to live a life of love, fueled by the love of Christ, and the very next verse describes what imitating God and walking in his love looks like. He says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, let me just say this. I realize this is the idol of our day. I mean, this is pushed in our face everywhere. We have access to it everywhere. It's huge. But I want you to know this was no more radical in our day than it was in the Apostle Paul's day when he's writing this letter to the Christians at Ephesus. And listen to what it says. little background history. In the Greco-Roman world of that day, including the city of Ephesus, uh, it was noted for moral and sexual corruption. The temple of Artemis, which was, we read about in the, the uh, account in Acts, offered ritual prostitution as part of its worship. 
Now, let me just say this. There are churches all over America putting up uh, LGBTQ flags in the sanctuaries at the altar in full embrace when the Scripture is so clear, let this not be among you. Now, I just got to tell you this. When you reject the Word of God and you get your script from the government or from the courts or from whatever the the, uh, current opinion is, you have abdicated the source of your authority. And I just want to tell you, those churches will have Ichabod written over them because the glory of the Lord is departing places like that that embrace what nailed Jesus to the cross. When you embrace and celebrate what nailed Jesus to the cross, you're not inviting the Holy Spirit into your place. And I just want to say this. This young generation, you, you got to hear me on this. I, I'm speaking to, to everybody in this room. I'm going to go 30 and under, all right? This is the most pro-life generation in, in, in recent years, very, very much coming awake on pro-life, but very, very much asleep when it comes to all the other sexual smorgasbord that's going on around us. And, and I'm telling you, you've got to get this. Does anybody, when you come into this place, and you're in the middle of worship in this place, is there anybody in this room besides me that tangibly senses the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us? Every single week I am undone. Every single week I'm undone. And I love the Word of God, and I love the presence of the Lord. And I'll just tell you this. You couldn't pay me enough money to stand here and try to tell you things that are going with the doctrine or orthodoxy of the culture. I'd rather do anything than stand here and be a, a religious prostitute in this pulpit and not stand for truth. If we don't have truth... If we don't have truth, thank you, Lord. That, that, that's that's about you. What separates the true church of Jesus Christ is the presence of God in our midst. We're the church of the living God. We don't worship a dead God. And I'll tell you what, when there's transformation happening all around, it's a sign that God's touching people's hearts. And I wouldn't want to be part of a religious organization where the glory of the Lord is departed. So help me keep pursuing the Lord, loving truth, standing for truth and righteousness. And let me just say this. There's not a one of us in this room that hasn't dealt with the temptation or brokenness related to sexuality. It's everywhere. So I'm not here this morning condemning people. I'm here this morning inviting us to be God's people, inviting us to raise the bar, inviting us to be the people God's called us to be. Now, let me share something. This word, immorality, it covers all types of sexual behavior. It talks about premarital sex, extramarital sex, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and pornography. It's any sex outside of the lifelong covenant commitment of marriage that's not rooted in love, which is why I want to show you this. Why did Paul include sexual sin with greediness? Because the essence of greed, we tend to think of greed in terms of of money. Right? Going after money. The essence of greed is always wanting more and never being satisfied. And I just want to say this again. We, we've got couples in Israel. I'm looking at some great victories. Folks that started off the wrong way 
and then learned about biblical marriage and covenant marriage and the difference it makes. And while you were here, and I could point out some of you if I needed to in this room, while you were here, we didn't judge your behavior. We loved you, but we spoke the truth of God's word. And, and when the time is right, we challenged you. If you love this woman, if you love this woman, then stop using her for your own selfish desire and make a covenant with her where you're going to commit your life to her for the rest of your life, and you're going to be faithful to her. Quit using her and treating her like a prostitute. Why would I say that? Because young ladies, and I have four young ladies in my own household, young ladies, you're worth more than that. And I just want to say this, you're being just as, an, as much of an idolater as he is because you're just doing it for the wrong reasons, different reasons, but equally wrong reasons. It becomes manipulation and holding on to control. And if I give him what I think he wants, then maybe he'll be committed to me. It never works. And so the Lord says, stop being greedy because lust by nature is never satisfied. It never considers what's best for the other person. It's always about themselves. Always about themselves. Now, I'm speaking to a whole group of people. I'll just deal with the male side. Every one of us as men has had to deal with, with lust and with being selfish. Have we not, guys? Every one of us. And until Christ comes into a person's life, and we start living for another king instead of ourselves, we're going to be sexually immoral and we're going to be greedy. And Paul said, listen, don't let people shame you for speaking the truth. He said, be clear. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you keep living this way. How is it love when you don't save somebody from an eternity in hell by telling them the truth? How is that considered love by being silent? And can I just tell you, many Christians are self-silencing because they're afraid of what the government or what their business or what somebody is going to do to them if they simply say, you know what, I'm not playing that game. I'm standing up for righteousness and truth. I'm going to live in a way that is godly. Because listen, hear this. We have this sloppy agape thing in so many of our churches today. God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. Yes, he is. But the therefore is where you get messed up. Therefore, just keep living the way that you are. Because God will forgive you. God clearly said, if you live that way, you will not inherit the kingdom that's coming. You will have no part in it. Now, can I just tell you, that's not my opinion. That's right there in the Bible. So here's a question. Do we take the Bible and throw it in the garbage and make up your own personal religion? Or do you let the word of God read you and shake you? And I don't know about you, but I want to spend eternity with the Lord. I want to live a life that pleases God. I want to do it the right way. And, and, and by the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians, he just said, if you keep living that way, meaning you continually practice a lifestyle that God says is evil. You will not. I'm being a faithful shepherd this morning. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I will not be guilty because I didn't tell you. Because I'm telling you, this should cause the fear of God to come into our hearts. And let's talk about foolish talk. I love this. this the word, our English word moron comes from the root word of fool, all right? 
I could have I titled this, Don't Be a Moron, but my wife would have got down on me on that. She doesn't, she doesn't like me getting over the top, all right? But I'm going to help you not be a moron, so listen. In the scriptures, the fool is not somebody who's mentally deficient. It's not about how smart you are. The fool is somebody who's morally deficient because they disregard the Bible and the teachings of Scripture. So the foolish person, the moron, is not because you have a low SAT score. It's because you've embraced the morality of the culture around you and you've ignored the truth of God's Word. That's the definition. So take a look with me at verse 6, because listen to what it says. So follow, follow the line of reasoning. Mimic God. Be filled with love. Don't be sexual, live in sexual immorality or greed. And look at the next one. This, I can't imagine a better answer to this dear woman's question than what we're getting right here from Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Oh, my goodness. Has anybody got any pressure on you to embrace everything that's going on this month and to celebrate it as if somehow... Look at verse 6. Don't be fooled by people who are trying to excuse these sins. What sins? The sexual immorality that we just talked about. God will fall on all who disobey. The anger of God is going to fall on all who disobey him. In other words, that when the kingdom comes, there's justice. And the judgment of God is not God being a meanie. The judge, judgment of God is the holiness of God in the pursuit of love. In other words, God's going to wipe out everything that works against love and purity and truth. And so, Pastor, what does this mean? Well, it says, don't be fooled. Don't make excuses. Look at verse 7. Don't participate in the things these people do. Pastor, do I go to the wedding and celebrate? No, because it's not a wedding that God honors. Pastor, do I wear the T-shirt that everybody's required to wear at work? No. Pastor, do I, do I have to adopt the pronouns? No. Pastor, do I have to wear the patch as on the major league sleeve to show my support for something that Jesus died on the cross to set us free from? No, 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 a thousand times no. Don't participate in the lie. And don't participate in wickedness. Don't be fooled. Don't make excuses. Don't participate. Folks, is this that complicated? But it takes courage. And listen to me. It takes love. Love is courageous. Because love's willing to do what's right for the other person, even when it's going to come back in your face. Even when you're going to pay the price for it. That's what love is. Let me keep reading. For all of you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Live as people of the light. For this light within you produces, listen, this is what's going to come out of us as we honor Christ. What's good? What's right? What's true? Say that with me. What's good? What's right? And what's true? That's the, that's the template. Take a look at the next passage I want to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just driving this point home. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards 
or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm glad that it's so quiet in here because the weight of this should hit us. The purpose of scriptures is not for us to come to the Lord and say, well, I know God understands. Listen, God's omniscient. The problem isn't with God. The problem is he's going, why don't you understand? Because I've clearly told you. I told you. I told you what I expect. Well, pastor, you know, I know good people that are living in that lifestyle and they really love the Lord. No, they don't. How do you really, really love the Lord and keep practicing things that are evil? It's like me saying to my wife, oh, I really, really love my wife. But then I go home and yell at her and verbally abuse her and physically beat her up, but I tell her, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I really, really love you. No, I don't love her. I don't love her till I repent and I change. Until I change, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. And if this, if our message is not that the gospel brings the power to change us, we got nothing. We got nothing. But look at what it says next. This is so important. Some of you were once like that. Like what? Well, you were practicing homosexuality. You were committing adultery. You were thieves. You were greedy. You were drunks. You were abusive. You were cheating people. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's the good news of the gospel. Do you know that in states that are liberal states, quote, progressive states, it is illegal to try to help somebody who is living a homosexual lifestyle to change. It is illegal to counsel them that if they say, well, I'm this way, but they're experiencing all the fruit of being that way, and they want to change, if you want to help them change, you will be fined and imprisoned. Try that in California, for instance. You need so you need to be here next week, because this is the tyranny I'm talking about. How is this happening in the United States of America, and the church is silent and allowing these kinds of things to happen? I just want to be clear for anybody that wants to know. If people come to this church, church, and they're desperate for change, and they're living a homosexual or lesbian lifestyle, or they've transitioned, they're like, what am I doing? I'm confused. I'm miserable. I'm depressed. And they want help. We will tell them, you can change. You can be transformed. You don't have to live this way. And I'm just going to tell you. just, Just to be clear which kingdom we're in, If Governor Newsom were my governor, I would not be listening to Governor Newsom about issues that Jesus Christ has already been clear about. In other words, I'd be letting him know we are praying and ministering and watching the power of the gospel set people free from sexual addiction at Living Stones. And everybody has the power because of Jesus to be transformed. Nobody's left out. Such were some of you, but you've been cleansed and you've been healed. Hallelujah. Let me wrap this up. You guys have been more than gracious. I'm at the last three I'm going through fast, I promise. Point number five, how about this? Let's focus not on pleasing the culture, but let's focus on pleasing the Lord. 
Look at verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Did you hear those words? Think about this. Carefully determine. In other words, we should be, this should be something that we focus on in detail. How do I live a life that pleases God? Can I just say something? I'm trying to help you out. If you want to be a faithful follower of Christ and you want to stand for truth, please give up trying to please everybody. <laughs> it will drive you crazy. At the end of the day, let me just tell you something. If I preach the scriptures and I'm faithful, no matter what hell breaks loose, I go home and I sleep good at night. Well, usually I don't ever sleep good at night, but it's not because people don't like me. But anyway, I, I, my wife does, but, but I'm working on that. But anyway, but, but here, here's what I learned. If you'll be careful to please the Lord, you only have one person you got to please. And, it, and let me just help you out. It's the only person that matters to please. Because when the kingdom comes and you stand before him, he's the only opinion that counts. So be careful in determining. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil. Instead, look what it says. Expose them. In other words, stop self-censoring because you're afraid of what's going to happen for simply telling the truth. I mean, can I, what, what in the world is going on in our culture? I'm, I'm calling every man out. I'm talking to the men right now. What is inside a man that he would find pleasure in watching another man dress like a woman, put on lipstick, and show up at the public library to read books to little children? What is the fascination with that? And can I just say something else, just so we're clear this morning? What parent in their right mind would bring a child who should not be exposed to, to sexual issues as a child, and you got some guy who doesn't even know what it is to be a guy dressed like a woman, sometimes with accentuated fake feminine parts, who in her right mind finds pleasure in being a part of anything associated with that? That's sick. But, but as I'm saying this, and if I'm put on the evening news for saying this, I will be getting backlash as if I am a bigot, I'm mean, I'm a phobe of all kinds, and I end up scratching my head going, what universe am I living in? I'm made to feel insane. Let me just tell you, we're not insane. If someone did that to one of my kids, we would have a serious problem. Slap the lipstick right off. All right, I wouldn't, but I feel like it. All right. All right, I got two more. Real quick. Look at verse 15. Be careful how you live. Can we just hear that again? Church, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like people that are wise. Maximize or make the most out of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And let me end with this last point. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, instead, this is an invitation to more. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And look, what, when the Holy Spirit is in a person, a, a lover of Jesus, they give thanks 
for everything to the glory of the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just encourage you? Isn't it amazing how many times drunkenness and sexual perversion go hand in glove? So what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say, all alcohol is evil, don't touch any of it? No, the Bible doesn't say that. But the Bible's always inviting us to more. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't spend your time pursuing those things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, the light of the gospel is shining out, and you're not tempted with all these things, and you can actually be somebody, a person of impact in the culture today. And you can be somebody that you lay your head down at night because you know I'm carefully living to please the Lord. I'm not going to be fooled. I'm, gonna, I'm going to root my behavior in the scriptures. And I'm going to stand and be a shining light in my generation because, listen, it matters. Fidelity to the gospel matters. Loving Christ matters. What God said matters. You know how much it matters? Your soul is dependent upon you getting the message and walking in the fear of the Lord. That's how important it is. Now, let me just say this. This place, this is why I love this place. As soon as you recognize you're broken, if we had an altar call right now for anybody that has struggled, currently struggling with pornography, the altar would be full. Because that's the culture we live in. We don't even have to hide. You can pull out your phone. You don't even have to be looking forward to it. Stuff pops up on your phone. There are guys in this room that have struggled with sexual impurity. There are people in this room right now that are living together. There's people in this room that have had adultery in your background. There's people in this room that have all kinds of stuff. And we deal with all of this at our encounters and in other places. And you know what happens when a man brings this stuff out of his life and brings it to Jesus? He gets cleansed and he gets healed and he's not the same person. So so here's my point. Here's my point. We're not condemning people today. We love people. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if you're dealing with lust, if you've been selfish, if you've hurt people, if you're broken, if you're far from God, uh, you're in the right place. Just confess it. Just say, that's me. The word of God nailed me today. The word of God nailed me today. Some of you have family members who are struggling with these lifestyles. We're not condemning you or your kids. This message is a message of hope. It's a message of transformation. And so we're standing with you. Some of you, I know the situation. We're, we're believing your children will be right here next to you, loving Jesus and set free because that's what the Lord does. But I mean, you know, we can't sweep this stuff under the rug because uh, number one, it's in the Bible and we got to preach it. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you guys. Father, thank you for clarity in an age of moral confusion. Thank you for courage, Lord, in an age of cowardice. And thank you for strength to admit that we need a Savior and to come in weakness and to receive you, Lord, and to let you begin to clean up our lives and change things around. Father, I pray a blessing on our church family today. I pray that we would be so full of the love of God and yet so full of truth that wherever we're at, Lord, people are being impacted by the way that we love them. Lord, I pray for those that have come out of brokenness and the pain of of sexual trauma. I thank you, Lord, that your eyes are in a safe place where there's healing. And Lord, for all that have been healed and that could stand up and say, Jesus healed me and set me free. What a great testimony of your power. So, Lord, bless your people. Bless us as we leave here. Help us to shine in the midst of this dark and evil age. And, Jesus, be big in our lives this week. Thank you for fruitfulness. Thank you for that we get to be hope dealers all week long. 
and that people will be able to see the difference that you make in our lives. Bless your people now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on down. If you're brand new, we'd love to meet you, all right? Come on down and introduce yourself. Have a great day.